I'm Steve Dania and this is the My Pride Playlist Pridecast from Virgin Radio Pride. In each episode, we speak to a member of the LGBTQ plus community and go through tracks that have soundtracked their lives. Now, due to rights reasons, the music is shorter than the original broadcast, but it's still great. Enjoy. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus. Full of stories and love for all. Steve Daniel with you tonight on my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm joined by Jonathan Blake tonight. So much to talk to him about. He's a gay rights activist. He's a former member of Lesbians and Gays Support the Minors. His character was used in Pride the movie. We'll chat about all of this. But most importantly, he's one of the first people diagnosed with HIV in the United Kingdom. One of the country's oldest surviving people living with the illness. So much to talk about. I'm going to start asking you about the first song on your list and what are you going for and why? Yeah, basically, it's the very first record that I ever bought uh, and it was the Shirelles and it was um, uh, uh, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Uh, my elder brother was into Elvis Presley. I couldn't bear Elvis Presley. Well, that was because he was into it. So sort of, you know, we, we, we had this... He was three years older than me, and, of course, he was the eldest, and I had come along, and I'd sort of uh, just... You know, I was the interloper. I had removed all the love that uh, that he'd been used to. Suddenly, there was this other person that was there. So, so we fought like cat and dog. It was extraordinary. And this was the first record you ever bought. And this was the very first record that I ever bought. So, take me back to that. That would have been the year. Would have been. Well, I think it's somewhere around about sort of nineteen fifty-nine. Yeah, late fifties. It's late fifties, and I sort of, you know. I I had my pocket money and this was the record that that I wanted. And can, you, was, can you remember was, how much it cost? Oh, I can't. You know, th- those details kind of sort of, I don't store those. Um, but I just remember sort of absolutely loving it. Uh, no idea that Carol King had uh, had written it. You know that that came much later. Um, but I just I just loved the 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 music, the sound, and, you know, the story that it was telling. Uh, And already, you know, I knew I was other. I knew I was different. So how old would you have been? Oh, God, you know, I would have been uh, about 10. Right. At uh, the time, because I was born in 49, so 59, Mm -hmm. yeah, sort of uh, 10. Um, And... um, yeah, I I already had this sense that I liked uh, I liked men, uh, I liked their smell, um, and I knew that it wasn't acceptable. I don't know how I knew that it wasn't acceptable, you know, because nobody talked about sex in those days, and certainly, you know, <laughs> homosexuality was was not discussed, at least not until later. But you know. That's uh, that's for for later in the story. So at the age of ten, you knew you were different, but you couldn't quite. Did you know what gay meant? No, I had no idea. No, or, but what I knew was that that I just, I really kind of was excited by the scent of men, um, their their body odor, and it was interesting when I was at at at, at sort of preparatory school. Um, 
we lived in Birmingham and we were sent to this preparatory school and I used to follow Bert, who was the uh, the, the caretaker and, <laughs> and an odd jobs man yeah. around. And if I could never be found in the classroom, yeah. then they would come to where Bert was and there I would be. <laughs> I would just be kind of sort of, you know, sitting there. Nothing happened. He's you with know. Bert. <laughs> I, was, I was with Bert. And no one ever kind of... of, of you know, said this is wrong, you shouldn't be, you know. It was just, it was one of those things. It was extraordinary. Steve Daniel with you tonight on my Pride playlist here on Virgin Radio Pride. That's a Shirelles chosen by Jonathan Blake. Jonathan is one of the first people diagnosed with HIV in the UK. He's been living with the disease over 40 years. His character was used in the Pride movie. We'll get on to all of this soon. I've got to play you this brief track that's on your list, Jonathan. Uh, it's a classical piece. It reminds you of boarding school, doesn't it? Tell me more. But this is Marla. Marla's sort of uh, symphony number one. Right. Uh, and I used to go into, we had a music library, and I used to go into the music library and just sit and and play it. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's beautiful music, but there is this kind of sadness to it. Mm. Um, and I would go in there and I would just kind of put it on and kind of sort of, I hated being sort of at school because there were all these kind of sort of restrictions. Um, but at the same time, of course, I loved being at boarding school because I was around boys. <laughs> so yes. there is this Quite intimately mix. as well. Absolutely, absolutely. But I just, I didn't like the kind of restriction that was there. Um, and it was, it was, it was difficult. And my elder brother was there and he was in the same house as I and we used to fight, you know, again. And, and we would have fights and, and there would be people, you know, around sort of, you know, encouraging us or jeering or what have you. Mm. Um, so it was, I, I found it, uh, I found it sort of difficult. I must ask you about that, that time because I wasn't around at that time. Was it, yeah. going back to the whole gay thing, mm. was it, legal then or was it still illegal no, to be gay it was, it was still it was still illegal so what was it like being a young man by this stage you would know that you you're having homosexual thoughts and thinking can i act on this if i do will i be arrested i mean it, how how was that for you well i mean it was it was difficult but it wasn't kind of impossible so you know there was always that kind of excitement isn't it that you're you know you are illegal that you're breaking the law mm. but then of course you know i hadn't sort of had any kind of repercussions in terms i hadn't been arrested so i didn't know what it would be like to be in prison or in jail or anything like that right um so you know it was it was all just kind of in the head but one realized that that it wasn't acceptable but at the same time it went on I mean, did it oh yes yeah oh god yes yeah. 
It's Virgin Radio Pride. It's my Pride playlist for your Monday evening. I'm Steve Denier, uh, chatting to Jonathan Blake. His character was used in the movie Pride. If you haven't seen that film, you have to see it. You will simply love it. We're going to be chatting about that in a moment. I see, though, Jonathan, you picked Dusty Springfield as your next choice. Why is that? I just think that, that she's extraordinary. Um, and I loved the sound of her voice. And it wasn't until sort of later that, of course, one one learned that she was lesbian. Yeah. So you know, but she did have the 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 most sort of uh, amazing voice. A question I haven't asked you about, you know, coming out of boarding school and you obviously going into drama school. Were you out at this point in your life? And how old were you um, when you were listening well, to songs well, like this? Well, I I I was out, but I wasn't out. So what does that mean? Well, you know, I mean, sort of. Um, People knew, and like my younger brother knew, that I was sort of queer, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a, an issue. Um, but, you know, when I went to, 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 to drama school, I went to drama school in September 1967. Mm. In July of 1967 the law had been partially, or sort of the law on homosexuality had been partially decriminalised. I say partially because it was between two adult consenting males in private, but over the age of 21. Right. Well, I was 18, so I was still illegal. Yeah. Anything that I did was... was, was so the heterosexual was 16, the homosexual was 21. Was 21. And it took forever... You know, uh, uh, eventually it wasn't until sort of uh, Tony Blair got into power that they they changed it and they wanted to change it to 18. Mm. And there was huge furore and, and eventually it was actually brought down to parity. Does that mean then if you were in a relationship, if you were 18 and you were in a relationship with a 21 year old, uh, you could have gone to jail they could have gone to jail. they could have gone to jail. i could have gone to jail but you but were, they could have you were under you would have been underage i was, I was underage and would that seriously have been and you know could that have happened yeah yeah and it did that was happen. a probability oh yeah no 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 it did happen and what was interesting was that that when the law was changed the number of rests and uh, and raids went up phenomenally you know because the police were, were were going to to make it an issue which was interesting because that was like, you know, one of the reasons that that, 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 that later on when I joined Lesbian and Gay Men Support the Minors, yeah. one of the reasons that, that we went to support them was because we knew what priest harassment was like. Mm. You know, the minors were the aristocracy of, of the working class. Yeah. You know, they had no idea. And it was interesting that it was the women who were really out there, sort of, you know, on the picket lines, because if the men were arrested, they would lose their, their strike pay. Right, yeah. So, you know, it was really important that, that, that you know, if when things got difficult, it was the women who were sort of, you know, in front. Just thinking, there's so many questions about this era, because it's hard for me to get in my head what it would have been like for you being 18 knowing that you're gay but you can't do anything about it because there are no you know bars or anything that you can go to because you're underage i suppose you can you can go on the gay scene could you you haven't got the apps that well, we've got well, now well, I mean, well no but you did go to the gay scene and they were bars and you did go in so you could and still so, go in oh you could still go in you could still go in because i looked older than, than i was right you know and and of course sort of people went in 
So, so there were, and there were wonderful sort of bars. So there was the coal herd. Earl's Court was like kind of the, the epicentre right. of it. So once, I mean, when I'd gone to drama school um, on a weekend, I would spend all my time up in London and finding men you know, and then staying overnight. And so, were these bars open? Or I've heard stories about people tapping, like knocking three times or giving passwords to get in. Was it like a clandestine? No, you know, the the by that time, sort of the the bars were open. But of course, you know, they're 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 um, limited hours. There's no late night opening, and there were there were sort of there were coffee bars. It's interesting, sort of round the corner mm. from from the coal herd, there was this uh, there was this coffee bar, but it was a coffee bar, you know. They didn't serve alcohol, right? Um, and it wasn't until sort of you know later that you got sort of the dance clubs, yours and mine. There was a, a place on Henrietta Street called um, called Mandy's, uh, and I remember going to Mandy's. Um, and you would have the bouncers who would be hanging around the dance floor, and if you got too close, you got parted. Really? Oh, yes, because it was um, consenting adult males in private, and this was in public. Right, so people so that, could see. So people, well, people could see, you know, the very fact that, that you're in this, this big space, or this, you know, not that big, I mean probably the size of this studio <laughs> yeah I mean, you know quite but, small but, really. so really quite small yeah but you're in there you're dancing you're getting sort of uh, intimate um and you get pulled apart wow because it's they they'd be losing their license it's uh, it's against the law so the whole experience was it dangerous was it exciting was it both well it was both you know i mean you never thought about it but there was always the potential that, that, you know, you could be raided. You know, if you lived in a flat, so you say you have two flatmates and you drag back, you are breaking the law because there are more than two people in private. Mm. It's incredible. So it's, it is, it? It, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And incredible. actually not that long ago. No. In your lifetime, in my, in you're my... telling me this, and I'm just yeah, like, wow, yeah. it blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. It's no, crazy. No, no. Absolutely no. crazy. Sounding good. Dusty Springfield on Virgin Radio Pride. My Pride playlist. I'm Steve Dania. I'm joined by Jonathan Blake. He's going from Dusty Springfield to Bette Midler now. These are huge artists. Now, let's just recap. So you went to New York, went to the States for the very first time in 1982. What was the States like back then? Well, it was, I tell you, you know, there was a car that collected me at, at JFK wow. and drove me in and we came down and we're coming down. So I'm seeing all these iconic buildings. So like the Chrysler building, the Pan Am building, all these ones that you've seen in black and white. Driving down, we then come over the, the uh, 59th Street Bridge and arrive at a place called Serendipities where we're having lunch mm. and suddenly I'm there. Mm. I, I mean, it was, was just phenomenal. 
and we had the most extraordinary time. So one of the things that, that, that I got to, to do was go to Carnegie Hall for this concert. It was Bette Midler's wow. first concert outside the Continental Bars. So just to stop you there, I've read a book before. Bette Midler used to play in what we would know as kind of a gay sauna, bathhouse, yeah, yeah. in New York. A big, on a Sunday a afternoon, big bar, is that a right? Big well, not just a Sunday afternoon. There was sort of, you know, more. But yes, she was there with Barry Manilow playing the piano. So there'd be men in towels. There would be men in towels. Having saunas, steams. They would be saunas, steams. I mean, it was big. Yeah. And later on, I actually lived in the Ansonia building, which is where the Continental Bath was in the basement. Right. So sort of, you know, so I would visit often. So there would be Bette Midler and Barry Manilow playing to just, you know topless yeah, men yeah. walking around who'd well, just presumably well, had well, sex well, in private rooms yeah or... yeah but they would they would just be sitting down listening to her but yes i mean wow i know it's extraordinary the image and she went from that to and she went to that to carnegie hall what do you remember about concert. the gig oh it was just amazing yeah i mean she was just i mean you know she was just this life force I mean, it was it was absolutely electrifying. Yeah, I and mean, she was known uh, as Bathhouse Bet back then, wasn't she? And there were oh, books yes. about her oh, actually yeah. and her performances. Yeah, yeah. Didn't that Bathhouse burn down? I read a report. no, 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 Not, no, no. The Ansonia didn't. That the, there was a, another wonderful Bathhouse which I used to go to. I loved it because I, 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 sort of having been there, I'd got the taste for for New York, <laughs> um, and. Things weren't working out in 1974. And these friends of mine, Bernie had said, you know, we have friends in uh, in Washington and we can get you a green card, not a problem. So I thought, OK, fine, you know, it's not working out for me as an actor in, in London. I'll, uh, I'll come to, to New York. So in 1974, I, I left February. I arrived in New York wow. and went to stay with... with Kenny Carlstein, who lived next door to Kenny and uh, next door to, to Bernie, and they were absolute sort of bosom buddies and what have you. Um, I'm, I, I'm dying to ask you, this was, you know, a few years before HIV ar arrived oh, and AIDS yeah. and everything. Yeah. Can you tell me, being in New York, I can only imagine that it was just anything goes. It was, it was so hot. It was so raunchy. It was amazing. There were these bathhouses. I mean, loads of them, but there was this one particular which I absolutely loved, which was like on this double brownstone building, but it was sort of eight, ten floors. Um, and it was always just jam-packed with men, hot men. I mean, they'd got sort of, you know, there were there were rooms with uh, with chains, you know, just just everything that you could possibly want. And absolutely Any no fancy. worries back then as far as picking up sexual things, well, you know, diseases. Obviously, and... that there there was, but you know, you you would go and test. Yeah. So sort of, uh, you know. That was, but but yeah, it wasn't. You you never thought about it. No, around it. Extremely you know. liberating. Then totally, it was like you could do what you wanted oh, with yeah, as many totally, people. Totally liberating. You know, completely. Of all the boys I've known, and I've known some. Until I first met you, I was lonesome. But when you came inside, dear, my heart grew light, and this whole world seemed new to me. You're really swell. I have to admit, you. Kiss me. 
And say you understand I'm gonna teach you how to love and yes. So kiss me And say you understand Read it, read Bet Midler, Virgin Radio Pride is my Pride playlist. It's got a really special one tonight. We're chatting to Jonathan Blake. Uh, he was diagnosed with HIV back in 1982. He's one of the, the oldest, longest living survivors. We really must go back to when you were first diagnosed. Am I right in thinking it was shortly after a trip to San Francisco, the early part of the 80s? Yeah, this, this, this really close friend of mine got married in San Francisco. She was from San Francisco, my friend Deborah, who lived in London, and she wanted all her sort of uh, her, her gay buddies to come and be ushers. In, in the States, you know, big Jewish wedding, they have ushers as opposed to bridesmaids. Right. So, you know, basically there were five ushers. Of the five ushers, I am the only one that is still living. I mean, that's, wow. you know, that's the decimation just in terms and of... And it was in just, that city. And it was in February 1981 that she got married. And I had a, a, a good friend who uh, I'd lived with in London... And he decided that I mean, he'd been a, a teacher and he was fed up with teaching and he then became a copywriter uh, and became this this star. I mean, overnight, within sort of a year of, of becoming a copywriter, he had he and and his art director had just won awards. Mm. So suddenly sort of, you know, he had this other craft and decided that he wanted to go to San Francisco. He'd heard that San Francisco was just uh, this amazing sort of gay mecca. Mm. So off he went. So in February, I went to stay with him. Right. I went to stay for, for two weeks. And of course, I loved the bathhouses. So I went to the bathhouses and explored the bathhouses and what have you. And eventually I worked out, you know, not immediately, but eventually I worked out that San Francisco was where I met my virus. Did you know about HIV no. before arriving in the city? Because no. I'd heard rumours that there were there were pictures of people. There were, there were pictures of of people. George says that you know there were pictures on pharmacy uh, windows yeah. of people with Carposa's sarcoma. So you know it was beginning to happen, but but there wasn't. There was a kind of a, a dis ease, but there wasn't. The knowledge it really hadn't you know started you know later on in that year and obviously to 70 into 82 yeah then you know then but at this point think, there was just point people were people were still but people were still out there doing it sort of it hadn't changed mm -hmm. habits behaviors or or what's his name sure sure so, so what was what was next at this point you'd been to San Francisco. How long did you stay there? Um, I was there for two weeks. Two weeks. So I just had two weeks and then I came back and sort of, you know, continued sort of working as an actor. So, so how, how long was it? How long was it uh, from when you returned here to London that you got sick or you started to feel unwell? I started to feel unwell round about kind of sort of, I suppose it was about sort of 
May, June of 82. And I really didn't know sort of what was happening. Um, I was having sort of night sweats and then bit by bit sort of every single sort of lymph node in my body just erupted. I I had to stop working at uh, at, uh, at Joe Allen's because I just I couldn't hack it. And you were how and old at this stage? I was thirty three. Right. Um, so in a way, I was you know older because later on, I mean, it was it was young kids that were mm. presenting with it. Um, but um, yeah, so sort of. Uh, I went to, I made an appointment. I was living in the East End in Shadwell. I had this wonderful Peabody flat in uh, in Shadwell. And I made an appointment to go and see my GP. And I remember as I walked in, she got up and she said, shake my hand. And as I shook her hand, she felt the lymph node in the crook of my elbow. And it was really painful. And I mm. went, ow, what did you do that for? She said, that's the sailor's handshake. Whenever the sailors went into port, they would shake the hands of the women or the men they were going to. And if that lymph node was up, it was a sign of syphilis and they wouldn't go with them. Right. So she said, have you been tested for for syphilis? So I said, well, I've had syphilis, but I haven't been tested recently. So she said, I suggest you go to the special clinic. I was going to say clap clinic, (laughs) the special clinic. Yeah. So I duly accepted what she said and I sort of went down to James Pringle House. I used to go to a place called James Pringle House which was part of the Middlesex Hospital. That was the, the, the clinic that uh, that was my clinic of choice. Mm. I presented myself and they were all over me. Right. Uh, and they wanted to do a biopsy so I was taken in and in those days if you were gay you were always put on side wards. You know, so that the homosexuality wouldn't infect the rest of the patients. Really? So, oh, well, that it, was in my head. Right, yeah. okay. But because it was just weird that why are you in a side ward? Um, and they did the biopsy, and I was there for two days waiting for the, the results. And eventually the result came back, and I had uh, what was called persistent lymph adenopathy. It was caused by a virus, but they didn't really understand sort of quite what this virus was. Um, it was a terminal diagnosis. There was sort of no uh, medication or anything, but there would be palliative care when the time came. So really you were told it's pretty much over yeah yeah early 30s I'm 33 and my life is over it's devastating and then and then I'm I'm let go and I go back to my flat and I just shut the door and I don't speak to people I don't tell I mean I just completely kind of collapse and then I need to be around people so I will go out to gay bars and I will stand in the shadows. I want to be with people, but I don't want to meet them, so I'm sending out all these vibes sort of just don't come near me, you know. I'm not... Because what are you going to say, you know, that I've got this killer virus coursing through my veins? I don't want to infect anybody. I mean, I felt like a modern-day leper. Yeah. It was was awful. And by this time, you'd be aware 
of people your own age who've got this who've passed away and, uh, yeah, and what yeah. was going on in the press because and and you know capital gay was a was amazing as a as a sort of you know newspaper because they really sort of you know carried the stories so one was beginning to hear that i was speaking to people in in the states you know landline to landline but sort of you know and hearing what was happening and all that I was getting was just that this was like kind of sort of there was there was no way out and it was going to be pretty grisly and so in the December of that year I decided that I was going to commit suicide and I I sort of had got a few pills but I was basically going to do the Roman way I was going to run a hot bath and just slip my wrists and let myself sort of bleed out and I'm getting myself all prepared for it. And then I hear the voice of my mother go through my ears, you clear up your own mess, you don't leave it for others to clear up after you. And I'm thinking, I'm going to leave one hell of a mess. And I can't do it. powerful song that still gets me George Michael praying for time on my pride playlist is Virgin Radio Pride I'm Steve Denny and my guest tonight is Jonathan Blake he's one of the first people that was ever diagnosed with HIV in the UK and his story is part of the movie Pride you've got to see it now we, we touched on this a moment ago you and your partner Nigel um, who was very kind of politically active wasn't he how long were you two together almost 39 years amazing yeah yeah amazing I mean, stuff sort of, yeah I mean just just extraordinary but he was really politically active he'd been a member of the gay left collected so they, they created sort of uh, the gay left magazine um so when lesbian and gay men sport the minors were going to be formed, it just was a sort of no question we would join it. And of course, I've got. To, I mean, this is so. This is when I first heard of you and your name. I went to see the movie Pride. Mm-hmm. I took my parents, and my mum bawled her eyes out at the end of it. It was such a fantastic movie. If, if, if anyone's yeah, listened yeah. to our chat and they haven't seen the movie, you simply must. Absolutely. On so many levels, it'll make you cry. It'll make you laugh. It's the most unbelievable story yeah. of solidarity, isn't it, between Absolutely. two groups that you wouldn't usually stick together. Yeah. Yeah. Can you take me back to the beginning of that chapter? Oh, I mean, it was it was amazing. You know, for me, this was just such an amazing experience because it was displacement activity. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that, that I always used to do was keep myself busy because the more I kept myself busy, then I wasn't having to think about the virus mm. and, you know, my demise. So by joining Lesbian and Gay Men Sport the Minors, I mean, what displacement activity was that? Yeah. I mean, one was right in there. And it was amazing. You know, there were, I think there must have been at least 30 of us that went down the first time to Dulai's to go and, and, and meet 
the actual sort of community. We were in two Hackney community transport vans and a broken down uh, Volkswagen. Well, we got incredibly lost. Because <laughs> so, it's in the so, middle of nowhere, isn't it? In self, is it, it South is, Wales? It is in South yeah. Wales. Yeah, I mean, it's not in the middle of nowhere, but it's difficult to find, you know, when you don't know where you're yeah, going. Yeah, sure. So sort of, so eventually we get there, but we've missed it. So there are 30 of us who all sleep on Di Donovan's floor. I mean, we've got our sleeping bags and all, so we're all crammed in like sardines, but we're there. And then the next day, we're going to go to the Enchuin, going to the workers, the, the, the miners' welfare hall. And we are incredibly nervous. And we walk in, and as we walk in, there is this absolute silence, and you just think, oh... And then suddenly someone starts applauding. And the next thing is that the whole room is applauding and they're up on their feet and that was it. Because it, it took just, a while for them to accept you. I mean, if I'm going by the movie, it took a while. They were very cold. Basically, they discussed it and they decided that they would take our money and anybody who didn't feel comfortable with that, they would know when we were coming down and they should make themselves scarce. Small Town Boy on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Dania. Jonathan Blake is here with me tonight. He was featured in the movie Pride. Uh, Pride the movie, his character played by Dominic West. We've got to talk about the movie. I've seen it four times. Uh, Jonathan, I always remember the first time I went to see it. I took my parents. Uh, my mum was in floods of tears. That that final scene um, with, with poor Mark and what happened to him. Oh, it still hits so hard, so so emotional isn't it it's um so it's, uh, it's almost getting me going now yeah you know the the very fact that that mark who was just so extraordinary you know i mean a real sort of you know life force you know that that he sort of you know what sort of 26 27 so young, so young you know died and but you know that was the the the, the nature of this yeah is that that you know, most people didn't realise that they'd got it until, you know, it would be a late diagnosis. I mean, he he got it unwell, got to hospital, died within 10 days. Yes. Yeah. I mean... Just incredible. Just I mean, I saw the documentary Positive, which is great. And, and again, if you haven't seen it, it's on Sky. Sky Documentaries. It's Sky it? Documentaries. Yeah. Um, but you, it, the, something I, you know, really picked up on is the fact that people just disappeared you know, one moment they were there, the next minute they were gone. That's right. And um, and also how devastating it was because lots of these younger guys hadn't even come out. So that's uh, that's quite a thing in itself, yeah. isn't it? But then to have to, you know, say, okay, I'm gay, but also I'm dying yeah. of this. I mean, gosh. And um, you know, what was awful was the very fact that 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 families would deny. Oh, that still gets me. Would deny the lovers 
the right to 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 go to the funerals. I wow. mean, it was it was just. I mean, that was was one of the most amazing gifts that sort of you know the the miners gave to LGSM. Well, to the lesbian and gay community at large was the fact that they pushed the uh, the the South Wales MUM to put pressure on the National Union of Miners right. to use their block vote to get the Labour Party, um, to get lesbian and gay rights into the Labour Party manifesto. Right. And the MUM got the, the printers' unions, lots of other unions, to also use that vote to get lesbian and gay rights into the Labour Party manifesto. So in 1997, when the Labour Party came in, eventually... Mm. They created civil partnerships. All those years later, though, it All took those, a long, of long course. time, didn't it? And if only one had had civil partnerships at that point, you know, none of that could have happened. Mm. But it did, you know. So The question, you know, I've got to ask you is, all these years later, and thank goodness you're well, you look incredibly well, we're having this conversation. I feel so, you know, um, lucky for you to tell me this firsthand, but you, that must have been a hell of a thing to get over, the fact that you didn't die and so many other people did. Yeah, there's... there's I mean, how how has that affected you in your life? You know, it, it's weird. There There is that sense of survivor guilt. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, now I kind of... I suppose I've dealt with it. I'm not sure that I've dealt with it, but, you know, I live with it. But it's not a big. It's no longer a big issue. Um, I just think that I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, but what I I hope that I you know have been able to do is to be out there and talk about it because I think that the more that it is talked about, you know, one of the awful, the dreadful things of of, of Thatcher was Section Twenty Eight. Mm. Section Twenty Eight, which basically denied local authorities and local authorities ran the school having you know talking about homosexuality it was you know thatcher deemed us all to be in pretend family relationships you know that 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 kids were being taught the inalienable right to be gay yeah. i mean god and I this mean, is right is. in the thick of the hiv thing right isn't it right in the thick of the hiv thing so that that the possibility of being able to speak to sort of to 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 gay kids to be able to tell them yeah about you know what they need to do to protect themselves to talk about sex to talk about relationships to talk about sort of consensual sex you know um you couldn't do it no you I know, mean, this is when I and, was at school, and, so we and, had no role yeah, models. Yeah. All of this, fright, you know, this terrifying stuff about HIV, AIDS. Yeah. And then the government saying, you know, when I was at school, we couldn't, no one mentioned the gay word. So you're completely on your own, yeah. you know? Yeah, completely, completely. I mean, God. And, you know, there are still places, countries that are still doing it. You know, Russia is still doing it. I mean, it's just, it, 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 it beggars belief. But but it exists. I mean, sort of these are these are battles that that still need to be fought.
It's Virgin Radio Pride. It's my Pride playlist. I'm Steve Denier. Uh, joined tonight by Jonathan Blake, who's picking some really great tunes. I haven't heard that for ages. Mini Ripperton. Let's talk about your life, Jonathan, um, just before I play your next choice, which is another storming song. Donna Summer coming up soon. A few questions to ask you. Um, and I hope you don't mind me asking this direct. How old are you? I'm just about to be 73 tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Happy Thank birthday. How many years have you been living with HIV? Um, God, 40. 40 years. And 40 years I read a statistic. October, yes. You're one of the, like the oldest survivor, longest survivors. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I always thought that my number was, was L1, London 1 at the Middlesex Hospital. Um, I eventually found out recently that it was lymphadenopathy 1 because it was, <laughs> right. they, they took out sort of a, a biopsy of, of, of the, the lymph node. So I've been living in cloud cuckoo land. But yeah, you know, I've, I've been living with it. I've been really, really fortunate. And... I mean, in some ways, I think that, that my parents must have blessed me in terms of giving me a good set of genes because I didn't even start the medication Wow! until 1996. They had asked me um, if I would join the Concord trial, the Concord trial where they were trialling AZT. Um, and they explained that, that, that this trial you have a cohort and then you cut the whole cohort in half and one half gets the pill and the other half gets the placebo and I said well um do you pair us off so someone who's got a similar build or metabolism to me you know we get paired and then one of us gets the pill and one of us gets the placebo and they went oh no no that's far too complicated and I just saw red and I got a bit belligerent and I went, well, now, if you put a line down the middle of me, I mean, this is absurd. If you put a line down the middle of me, you give one half of me the pill and the other half the placebo and we see which side does best. That, I think, is a trial. But if you can't be bothered to do that, I can't be bothered to do your trial. And I do think that that's one of the reasons that I'm here today. Saved your life. Because, yes, because what was happening was that they were giving people three grams of this AZT. Yeah. Um, gram in the morning, gram in the afternoon, gram in the evening. And basically it was a failed chemotherapy drug. And chemotherapy drugs work on completely wiping out your immune system because you wipe out the cancer, but you wipe out everything. Right. So you basically leave people with this, um, with no protection. Because all the sort of the, the, the key helper cells in your body have all been wiped out so they don't exist. So any opportunistic infection just comes along and goes, oh, yeah, this is prey and, and in. And, and that was it. So you think AZT ended up killing far more people than the I, HIV? I do. I yeah. mean, that, that's, that's, that's my feeling. And they, they, they realise that, that actually... It seemed to do something for three months, and then that was it. Right. So slightly more prolonged life, so but then fractionally. But I mean, fractionally. So, but you know, people were desperate to live. Yeah. So you know, they would they would take everything. I suppose that 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 
yeah, as much as I wanted to live, I wasn't that desperate to to do it, or I wanted to do it sort of on my terms. Mm. And the fact that they wouldn't pair us off, and I just felt that that was wrong. So I didn't. A question for you, just before we play the next song, which is Donna Summer, beautiful, amazing song. Mm. Do you think the generation now, the next generation, kind of my generation, the the younger ones now, do, do you think that they... Do you think they would ever understand what you went through, what you've been through? And what do you think of where we're at now as far as HIV is concerned and well, PrEP and what have you? Well, you know, what is amazing is the fact that, that we have the tools now to be able to, to, to stop any new infections. And there is this idea that by 2030, and 2030 is what, eight years yeah. away? you know, that there could be no new infections of HIV. But that requires there to be a lot of sort of, you know, of advertising, of getting the message out, of people talking about it. And if there isn't the sort of the the support, and I suppose basically the funding, then we're not going to get there. But the very fact that, that, you know, people fought to get PrEP, now the NHS gives PrEP. Mm. But what isn't happening is that there are not enough people being told of its existence. Right. You know, sex workers, they should just be, you know, offered it, given it, you know, or told about it, given the sort of, you know, the, the fact that, that there is this pill, that it does work. It'll only protect you from HIV. It ain't going to protect you from anything else. Yeah. You know, and there's there's a whole lot. But, you know, people need to be sensible. They need to, you know, be open, be honest, go and test, you know. And and the fact that it's it's a very simple test for HIV so that if you know your status, either, you know, and we're really fortunate because we have a national health service in yeah. this country. Yeah. So if you test positive there is medication and medication that works and the medication these days is is so much easier to to take than it used to be i mean times it used to be so toxic and really difficult and you'd have to have anti-nausea pills because the nausea was i mean it was it was complicated but we're at a point that that we have this possibility that we can just stop this virus the very fact that you don't have new infections will will kill it out did you ever think you'd see that in your lifetime no no i mean it's still it's it's so extraordinary i mean the very fact of of you equals you yeah you know undetectable equals untransmittable the very fact that you have got so little virus in your body that you cannot pass it on to someone is so liberating. I mean, it's it's just extraordinary. And I never thought, I never thought that I would sort of live to see none of this. And that takes us into Donna Summer, which is a song kind of pre-AIDS, pre-HIV, back when we were living in freer, simpler times. And great to hear this again.
Donna Summer, love to love you on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Dennier. Jonathan Blake has been my guest tonight, and what a special guest he has been. Thank you so much for joining me, Jonathan. I know that you wanted to end on this final track as a tribute to your lifelong partner, who you sadly lost recently. Um, I'll tell you what, you introduce it for me. Oh, this is the, this is, the, well, this is, you know, the, the, the bar. Yeah. This is, this is, um, um, uh, Janet Baker singing this, Ich habe genug, I've had enough. And, oh, sorry, uh, Nigel loved Janet Baker. Mm. And we played it at his funeral. Nigel died sort of back in January. I'm sorry. Um, uh, such is life. Um, but sort of, it is It is just such a beautiful, beautiful sort of piece of music. And, you know, Nigel had said to me um, when he was sort of ill in uh, in hospital that he'd had enough, that that, that was it. And he basically stopped eating, stopped drinking. Right. Uh, eventually, I managed to get him home. Um, so he died, sort of, you know, at home. Mm. And uh, um, but this is just the most beautiful. And he was the love of your life, wasn't he, Nigel? <laughs> Completely. Yeah. I mean, he gave me a life. That was was amazing. You know, I had no idea. I can't imagine what my life would have been if I hadn't have, uh, have uh, you know, gone to Russell Square. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just totally. And and I have. I mean, I've, I've just had the most extraordinary, you know, adventure, you know, with him. Mm. So, sum up, what kind of man was he? <sighs> he was gregarious. He was creative. Um... He was gentle. He was determined. Um, he wrote the most beautiful um, haiku um, poetry, um, and then he had a, a a stroke in 2013, and that kind of robbed him of his mobility, and he could no longer write. Um, but we made a life. Um, but just uh, an extraordinary, a really extraordinary, um, adventurous, daring, you know, uh, generous, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for listening in. That was the My Pride Playlist Pridecast. And make sure you subscribe to hear loads more good stuff from Virgin Radio Pride. The Virgin Radio Pridecast. Proudly supported by Disney+. Plus, Full of stories and love for all.